0: And answers. For centuries, Old Testament scholars and historians believed King David was not a historical figure, but part of Israelite folklore prominent archaeologist Dorothy Irvin states of these narratives speaking of Davidic lore as well as all the narratives of the Pentateuch the historical problem is not so much that they are historically unverifiable and especially not that they are untrue historically but that they are radically irrelevant as sources of Israel's history is there evidence for Israel's greatest king or is his story folklore You're tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. At a conference hosted by the Wa'aii Baptist Church in Hawaii, Pat presented new archaeological discoveries that affirm a historic David, as well as other prominent figures in Old Testament history. Now with the conclusion of Session 5 is our host, Pat. Now...
1: Genesis chapter 13 verses 2 through 10 states that the land was this whole Jordan Valley area calls it the whole plain or Kikar was clearly visible just east of Bethel and I where lot could see the whole plain so if lot is standing here with Abraham Bethel and I he can see the whole plain that would be this area okay this is way too far south you can't see this area from Bethel and I so they got to be up here somewhere so Tal el-Hammam fits that description. Now, when they're digging down here, they discovered, they did laboratory analysis, samples taken at Tal el-Hammam as well as around this Kikar area. They're looking at soil samples, rock samples, right in this Kikar Valley, right here in the red. Okay, so they're looking at this whole area, And laboratory scientists from seven independent universities confirm something very astounding. Sodom and the entire 400 square kilometers east of the Jordan, the car disc, was wiped out instantly by an explosion that generated heat of 12,000 centigrade, or 21,000 Fahrenheit. They know that because there's vitrified or sand and rocks that were suddenly converted into glass, okay? They see that all over the place. Pottery, glass, glass-coated rocks, fused sand, shows that this place was destroyed by a sudden explosion in nature that generated heat, 21,000 Fahrenheit, or 12,000 degrees centigrade. Now, what can generate? something, you know, it not only destroyed Sodom instantly, destroyed the entire Kikar Valley. It wasn't inhabited for another 700 years, okay? What can generate that kind of heat? The only thing that can is what we call a meteoric (laughs) airburst. A meteor flying over, disintegrated that entire valley there right about 1700 B.C. That matches the time of Abraham and the Genesis 19 account of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So significant was this find that in 2011, the director of the Jordan Department of Antiquity stated in Jordanian News, he said, the excavation at Tal el-Hammam is perhaps the most important archaeological discovery of all time. If we can confirm this is indeed Sodom, that would be, change the face of the whole discussion when it comes to the time of the patriarchs and the early genesis accounts here's another one okay? the hittites they appear in genesis 15 1 kings 10 we hadn't found anything about the hittites okay, for nearly 1700 years and many people were saying well this is a mythical group invented there in the bible well a little over a century ago discovery in 1876 they were digging there in uh, northern Iraq, southern Turkey, and they made a discovery there of buildings and a huge library and five temples of fortified citadels. And in the library, they discovered thousands of tablets. And when they deciphered these tablets here, they had discovered they were sitting right at Hattusas, the capital city of the Hittites. Now in 1906, they translated these tablets and discovered, you know what, we just discovered the capital of the Hittite empire. And when they studied the Hittite language, they discovered it's the early relative of the Indo-European languages. The Hittites had been discovered. And so there's another discovery that confirmed the historical reliability of the Old Testament. By the way, those of us with Asian descent, you might be wondering where the Asians are mentioned in the Bible. Well, archaeologists surmise the Hittites, the Chinese, come from the Hittites. Why is that? Well, the Hittites have that ponytail. Right? The Chinese, have, They have the curved sword that is used in, in the Chinese weapons. Okay? They have the curved shoes. And that's reflected in the Chinese culture. Many feel okay, that the Hittites are the forerunners of the Chinese. And you look at the armor of the Hittites and the Terracotta warriors. A lot of similarities there, okay? The chariots of the Hittites and the Terracotta. So a lot of them speculate perhaps that they're the forerunners of the Chinese. The Balaam inscription. In Exodus 22, it talks about a prophet named Balaam. Who the Moabites hire to curse the people of Israel. And you know that story. He went to one mountain, blessed them, and another one blessed them. Before he would go, you know, God told him, Don't prophesy against these people. So he wouldn't, but finally he accepts the bribe and he goes. And you remember the story, the angel of God is sitting there, and his donkey wouldn't proceed, and he beats his donkey, and his donkey opens its mouth and starts talking. Right, that story of Balaam, many consider that fiction. Well, in 1967, so that's not too long ago, a crumbled plaster was found in an ancient building in dur Allah in Jordan. Okay? And written on it was this Aramaic text dated about 800 B.C. Okay? And there are 50 lines of this text faded in red and black. And the text read Warnings, warning sayings from the book of Balaam, the son of Beor. He was a prophet or a seer of the gods. Balaam, son of Beor. That's him there mentioned in the book of Numbers. We went over a little bit of the Merneptah Stila here. For centuries, people said King David does not exist. He's a legendary figure. Why? We've never found anything of King David outside of the Bible. Well, back in 1993... In northern Israel, at a site called Tel Dan, they made an astounding discovery. It shocked the archaeology world. It rocked the archaeological world. Up there in Tel Dan, they found a black basalt stele, a government plaque that you hang over government buildings. And there were 13 lines written in the Aramaic language, and you could read it all right it's the victory stele created by king hazael king of aram of damascus in the 9th century bc so about 100 years after king david when he defeated the forces of israel as recorded in first kings 15 9 and line 9 mentions his victory over the kings of israel over the house of david okay so when the plaques when the two pieces were put together The whole thing reads, I killed Jehoram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, and I killed Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, king of the house of David. So here we have an enemy of Israel writing about a century after acknowledging the existence of David and that the kings of Israel follow in the line of David. It was a phenomenal Discovery It shocked the archaeological world because now we had evidence of a historic King David. Then in 2005, this is not that long ago, okay, in 2005, we know here that the city of David is south of the Temple Mount. So here is Mount Moriah, where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. Here's where the Jerusalem Temple sits. And the city of Salem, which David eventually conquered and made his capital, is south of Mount Moriah. And eventually his son Solomon builds the temple here. So this south of the Temple Mount, this area here is known as the City of David. You can go to Israel today and go visit the City of David. Well, David had a palace here somewhere in the City of David. And this is most likely the location right here. And what they discovered in 2005, dating right to the time of David, okay, 1000 BC. The archaeologist Abraham Mozar discovered a large structure. It's much larger than any of the buildings that are there at that time. It's in the right location, just outside the Jebusite wall, dates to the right time, 1000 BC. They found their Cypriot juglets, ivory inlay. Anyway, this was a fancy palace, luxurious dwelling, and they discovered several royal seals there so this was some kind of royal housing and they did more studies and they discovered this is most likely the palace of king david himself see so not only that we've got the tel dan stele and we've got the city of david and you can go to israel today you can't unfortunately you can't go down here okay but right here just south of the temple mount You'll walk right past this when you go. To, you can't go in there because they're doing so many digs. But they believe that is where they have discovered the palace of David. We're going to go through one more. This is called the Misha Stele, or the Moabite Stone. All right, this was discovered in 1868 by an Anglican missionary here named Frederick Klein. a black basalt stele, a stone monument in Jordan. It's an inscription recording the acts of King Misha the king of Moab, in 840 B.C. It's about three feet tall, about two feet wide. Now, the Moabite stone, or this Misha Stele, it's come to be known, it's got 34 lines of text written in Moabite that describes the events of 2 Kings chapter 3. Now, if you remember at this time, David and Solomon crushed the Moabites. Now, they are a vassal servant kingdom to the nation of Israel. And they have to pay taxes and tribute then to Israel. Well, when Omri came around, they rebelled. Ahab tried to subdue them, and they rebelled against the nation of Israel. And the passage in 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 4 through 6 says, Now Misha, the king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he had to deliver to the king of Israel hundred thousand lambs and hundred thousand wool of rams but when ahab died the king of moab rebelled against the king of israel so king jehoram marched out of Samaria at that time and mustered all of israel now the moabite stone or the misha stele reads this i am misha son of chemosh king of moab the debonite goes on to say omri was the king of israel okay so that's why a lot of archaeologists say history doesn't begin until omri because this used to be the only evidence we had of an Israeli king outside the Bible, right? Omri was king of Israel, and he oppressed Moab for many days because Chemosh was angry with his land, and his son replaced him, and he also said, I will oppress Moab, but I was victorious over him and his house, and Israel suffered everlasting destruction, and I built the temple of Baal, Meon, and I established here, uh, you know, the sheep of the land. Now the moabite stone was significant for several reasons it corroborates the second kings chapter three account it also mentions in there yahweh as the god of israel because among the spoils of misha he claims to have taken from israel their altars dedicated to the god of israel yahweh in lines 17 and 18. so it's the earliest mention of yahweh being the king of israel And there are parts of the stele that were unreadable. Parts of the stele that were unreadable here and here and over here. You can see they're unreadable. Well, with the technology we have today, we're able, laser technology and all, we're able to decipher those readings. And in line 31, it was a damaged line, but the technology we have, we're able to discover what that sentence in line 31 was. 95, Andre Lemaire he was able to read what was written there. It was previously indistinguishable, but the phrase reads, okay, the king from the house of David. In Hebrew there, Beit David. He's able to discern there that what was missing was house of David. Right? So there is another very ancient extra-biblical account of the house of David there. See those two letters were missing? Remember, the Near Eastern languages don't have vowels. Just like Hebrew, they don't have vowels in there. They're just consonants. All right, so two letters were missing. They can discern now, bait means house. DWD in our English equivalent, David, house of David. So there is another early account of King David. This is the Lachish relief here. All right, the Lachish relief, this one's pretty cool. It's 70 feet long, all right? It's a massive wall relief here carved out there. It depicts Sennacherib's conquest of the city of Lachish in northern Israel in 71 B.C. And 2 Kings 18 records how Sennacherib was besieging Lachish, and as he was besieging it, he sent a delegation to King Hezekiah. Say, hey, I've just captured your cities, now surrender to me. right, in 2 Kings 19, verse 8, that phrase there shows you he captured the city of Lachish. Right now, they discovered this Lachish relief, and when you get a closer look at it, here it is: a graphic picture of the Assyrian warriors here going up, capturing the city of Lachish. Here they are going up, capturing their battering rams here, and knocking down the city. Clubs and things being thrown at them as they're up there going up the city, and the relief continues the other way. Now, you look in this corner over here, what do you see? You see here men being run through with long sticks, right? And shoved up right at their rear end, you know, being killed, and then they're hung on the walls like that. That's how the Assyrians tortured and what they did with their prisoners. They stick them on these poles high up and kind them outside the city to intimidate those inside the city over there. And then you look further down the relief. Here are the prisoners here, the Israelites, bringing their goods back there to Assyria. And there you see them bowing down over here, paying tribute to Sennacherib, the king of Assyria there. Oh, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Let me go through this last one here, because this is perhaps the most significant manuscript discovery of modern times, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, the Qumran community were made up of a group of Essenes. The Essenes, from their study of the Old Testament scriptures, especially the book of Daniel, knew that the Messiah was coming. But they saw the corruption going on in the Jerusalem temple and the religious structure of Israel, and they saw how corrupt it was, okay? which is consistent with how Jesus reacted, how he overturned the temple. And so they said, you know what? We need to prepare for the Messiah. We need to get out of this corrupted religious system. And they went out into the desert of the Dead Sea and formed a community, the Essene community. They'd spend their time copying the Old Testament law, copying the commentaries and rules and regulations of the society. Now, when the Jewish-Roman War broke out in 66 AD, they put all their writings into jars and they hid them up in the mountains there of the Dead Sea in these caves over here. And you know the story, in 1947, they were discovered. Now, you know the story, a shepherd was looking for his lost goat, thought was in cave four over here, threw a rock in, heard a rock crack, and saw these jars, thought they were filled with treasure, opened them up, and they had all these scrolls in there. Well, that's not the real story, according to the grandson of Simon the wolf. Simon the wolf is the guy that found it. (laughs) According to the grandson, he said that story was made up. Why? Treasure hunting in Israel is illegal. Okay, you can't do that. The real story is these were Bedouin treasure hunters. They were looking for treasure in these. Why would a goat fall in here? You know, and someone throw a goat, silly story. Well, these are treasure hunters. They found these jars and these manuscripts and they made up that story so they wouldn't get arrested by the Israel authorities when they came up and showing them all these scrolls. So they made some money showing them the scrolls. Anyway, hundreds of manuscripts were discovered in these well-preserved jars here. They were going through about a dozen caves there in the Dead Sea. Now, they discovered fragments from every book of the Old Testament, except for the book of Esther, okay? And books like Isaiah, they found the entire scroll of Isaiah. Now, this is the significance of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Our Masoretic text, from which we get our Old Testament, is dated about 900 A.D. or later. The Dead Sea Scrolls are dated as early as the 4th century B.C. Most of the manuscripts were written about 100 B.C. Okay? Some of the later ones are about the 1st century A.D. Now, fragments were found from every book of the Old Testament except Esther. Scrolls of the entire book of Isaiah was found. You've got a thousand-year gap, then, between our Masoretic text and the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay? Now, people were wondering, they're saying, how well preserved is our Old Testament, really? There was really no way to test until we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, okay? And they said, ah, now we gotta te- We got a thousand-year gap here between the Dead Sea Scrolls and our Masoretic Text. we got an entire book of Isaiah here. Let's match them up. And if there's a big difference between the Dead Sea Scrolls like Isaiah and our Isaiah today, the Masoretic text. You can build a case that our Old Testament has not been well-preserved. It has been doctored, changed, and edited over the years. So everyone was excited to see, ooh, what's the results of here? They matched it up, and guess what they found? We're about 99% accurate to the Dead Sea Scrolls. The changes in there are very minor. Spellings, some words here, some words there, some notes by scribes. Otherwise, we're pretty much identical, which proved what? that our Old Testament had been well preserved. Second of all, what did it prove? It proved the messianic prophecies of Christ. Okay? Jesus fulfilled over a 100 prophecies written of him in the New Testament there. He fulfilled them. Amazing. No other person in the history of the world confirmed their claim to be divine by fulfilling prophecy. No one has a prophetic legacy like Jesus. Nobody does. How many prophecies are there of the coming life and ministry of Muhammad? Zero. You know, what about Confucius? Zero. Jesus, you have over 100. He fulfilled each one. Absolutely amazing. And people were saying, well, maybe these prophecies weren't there. They're written after Jesus. Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls proved what? They're at least 100 years before Jesus. Even if you don't believe Isaiah wrote Isaiah, Isaiah was there at least 100 years before Jesus, and these prophecies were there. Isaiah 51, Isaiah 53, you know, those... Famous verses, you've got about over a dozen prophecies of the Messiah which he fulfilled. Okay? So, if all we had was Isaiah, that's an amazing legacy of prophecies there. So, it confirmed the messianic prophecies of the Messiah. And finally, it confirmed the Messiah they were looking for was a person. Okay? When you talk to Jews today, they'll often say, well, the messianic figure there, the suffering servant, is the nation of israel it's us what well, if you read isaiah 53 and all those paths it doesn't match israel the suffering servant is sinless can't say that about israel all right it doesn't match up but when you read the dead sea scrolls you realize they were looking for a messiah a person it was never interpreted as being the nation of israel That comes a 1,000 years after Christ, when all the Christians were pointing to Isaiah 53 and Daniel 9 and all these prophecies. And when you go to Dead Sea Scrolls and you read their theological work, you realize what? They're looking for a person, a personal Messiah, right? And who fits the bill better than Jesus Christ? In fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls, they're struggling because the Messiah is the perfect high priest, but he's also a warring, ruling king. How do you put the two together? How can you have a perfect priest who can't shed blood and a king? And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they have two messiahs, right? One's a priest and one's a king. <laughs> and they actually meet at a feast. Very interesting writing. What they didn't realize is it's not two messiahs. It's two comings of the one messiah. So very interesting. Anyway, that's the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, what do we learn from all of this? Well, I mean, we could be here all afternoon, going after discovery after discovery, but thousands of discoveries affirm the historical integrity of the old testament and new discoveries continue to be found so archaeology confirms that we can reasonably conclude the old testament is a historic document that tells us accurately of god's activity here upon the earth the old testament is reliable and it can tell us the history of god's activity here upon the earth all right i want to thank you for our time together hope you found it uh, strengthening to faith or answering a lot of questions. I want to thank you for being here. A lot of the information that we went over, you can get at our website here at evidenceandanswers.org. All right. Thank you very much.
0: We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today we have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series so if you would like pat to speak at your church bible study or even hold an apologetics conference at your church or location give him a call in hawaii that number is four eight three zero five eight six. 586 or you may contact him through the evidence and answers website that's evidenceandanswers.org be sure to use our search engine for available resources everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download, so be sure to share it with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts, like Pats on the Air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, once again, head on over to our website, that's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log in at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat (laughs) Zupra.